0: Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Word for the people of the Lord, and that word to be heard is simply this: hope. A word to inspire imagination, and invite inspiration. A vision painted of a future yet to unfold that creates even now the light of a revelation for God's people to live in and live out. A call to rise and shine in the light of his glory. Burning bright in the midst of this story of darkness and despair, the dawning of hope. Lift your eyes, look around, see what is yet to come and what is coming even now in the presence of the one who has come to his people and promised that one day. All will come to his light and be made new. Sons and daughters streaming from afar across oceans and seas. Kings and nations bringing their richest and best. Their splendorous ornaments and glorious adornments laid down at his feet. Kings become servants as they meet the radiant Holy One. A city whose gates will never be closed Once ruined walls, rebuilt by those once called foes. Their silver and gold and beauty and art and wonder and treasure and jewels and goodness from the heights of the mountains, the cedars and pines from the depths of the oceans, the greatest of pearls, all brought to this city to honour and proclaim the God whose name they now claim as their own. As once and for all, he is seen for who he truly is. And his people rejoice in what they have always known the truth and beauty and joy of being His. A people once forsaken, rejected, despised, now redeemed and emboldened their God by their side, ashes for beauty, no tears, only joy, comfort in mourning and all fears now destroyed. Trinkets traded for true treasures, shadows swapped for substance, violence and destruction replaced by peace and justice, Mere walls and gates transformed into salvation and praise. Even the bright warmth of the sun and the brilliant shine of the moon no longer required in the incomparable light of His everlasting presence. This hope is the message, the vision, the news His Spirit empowers His servants to bring to the poor and confused release for the captives, sight for the blind, balm for broken hearts, and freedom for their minds, pronouncing justice and peace, announcing all wars to cease, declaring vindication for God's people set free and the arrival of his long-awaited and long-anticipated year of jubilee. Ruins rebuilt and relics restored, remnants renewed and wreckages reborn, God's city renamed. Gardens, vineyards, fields, all tended. Friendships, families, nations, relationships mended. God's people redeemed. For the heart of our God has always been for justice and truth. His desire has always been to bless and reward and bring good for his people to delight in him as he has always delighted in them joined with him forever as his beautiful bride, clothed in his salvation, made righteous, seated at his side in royal robes, crowned with his glory and glorying in his crown, as his kingly presence is made manifest and his steadfast promise established forever. Can a prophet keep silent after seeing all this? Or does this glimpse of the future blaze in his heart and consume all his words? so that the message is received and repeated and recorded and received and responded to until its promise is confirmed and its vision is completed. Open your ears and your eyes and your mind. Listen with your heart and your hands and your feet. Prepare the way. Build the path. Remove the barriers and raise the banner, for your Saviour is coming and bringing his reward. Live forward with this hope, For your future restored. Isaiah comes with a vision of transformation, an imagination for all nations, an invitation of restoration, found not in a new revelation, but in the ancient covenant promise of their nation I will be your God, and you will be my people. Lift your eyes. Can you see the vision the prophet paints? What God has always dreamed He, their God, They, his people, fully and finally, completely, entirely. And you know, Isaiah's vision stretches far beyond what he knows, and I wonder if he wondered how far it would go. His words echo down through the centuries. The hope, they declare, is glimpsed anew in the brightness of the coming of the sun, in the splendor of the pouring out of his spirit, in the light of the nations of the commissioned disciples, in the lives of his people, in every age and stage as they long for and live towards and shine into its unfolding in their time and place. And this hope is made manifest in the vision of another prophet, revealed in John's Revelation, which we now name Revelation, the inspired unfolding of our sure horizon and hope, the climax to the grand narrative of redemption and rescue when all things come together and all things are renewed. And we come face to face with the one whose face has always been turned toward us. No mourning, no weeping, no sickness, no sin. The lion laying down with the lamb. The lion who is the lamb seated on the throne. All worship, all honour, all glory, all praise. The golden city, a renewed Jerusalem. The healing garden, a restored Eden. And the one who proclaims, behold, I am making all things new. God dwelling with his people and his people dwelling with him, the covenant filled fuller every tribe and tongue as one. And so we're invited to lift our eyes to the farthest vision that our father has given, to wait breath-bated for that great date when what we see now with eyes of imagination, the resurrection our bodies ache toward, The renewal our whole world is groaning for will be the transformation of all things restored and the reality of our eternity forever and forever and forevermore. So how does this hope sustain us, remain in us, constrain us to speak out, to reimagine and restory the way things could be, to paint pictures with our words that invite God's people to paint a new world with our hands and our feet? For we too are called to be prophets, poets, dreamers, called to live, to see what our world yearns for but cannot name, to live out this hope with faithful teaching and imaginative preaching, declaring and reminding, envisioning and inviting, to be truth tellers, vision shapers, gospel sharers, peacemakers, weavers in our time and place of the eternal story of the God who holds time itself in his palm, and he's bringing all things together in his plan. Reframing the the story our world tells itself about who and what matters with the story of our world's creator who made matter in the first place and to whom it all matters. Every creature, every person, each moment, each life, every tribe, every tongue, each depth and each height. Calling hearts back to the heart of the one whose heart has always beat. For us, so that our hearts might beat in unceasing rhythm with His. This hope, it sustains us. This hope will not disappoint us because it rests not on our words or even our imagination, but in the living Word, the image of the invisible made visible, the creator and sustainer of all things, the renewer and reformer, the savior and redeemer the one through whom and in whom and by whom and for whom all things are and were and always have been and all things will be and will be and will be. The prophet has a final word for us, the people of the Lord, and that word to be heard is simply this. It seems to me that one of the key differences between the Hebrew people of the Old Testament and their prophets, and me, and the way that I was taught to engage with the scriptures is how we have sought to communicate truth. We live in a post-enlightenment world that has tended to write books and sermons that explain and explicate in great detail and give us information so that we might understand and grasp with our minds. And that is a wonderful gift and I am the product and benefit of my education and no doubt I will draw on that as I share with you today. But it makes me wonder about the power of poetry and story and rhythm and rhyme and imagination and emotion and embodiment. The power of a word that is not found in black and white but in full living colour that engages not just with our minds, but with our whole selves, our strengths, our bodies, our hearts, our emotions, our imagination, our relationships, our community in all the fullness of who we are. The power of poetry to make us feel and see and be inspired and wonder and look forward and enact and enter into truth in new ways. And so as I turn to prophets like Isaiah in the Old Testament, I've been pondering this question for a number of years now. What does a prophet sound like? We have their words written on the pages of the scriptures in our Bibles or on our phones. But what would it have sounded like to go to the temple in Jerusalem in the year 590 BC and to hear Jeremiah standing there rebuking and convicting and confronting the people for their superficial religion and hypocrisy. What would it have sounded like to be in the seventh century in Israel when Hosea comes across the border and starts ranting and raving and haranguing them and harassing them for their injustice and wickedness and oppression of the poor? What would it have sounded like to hear the prophet Ezekiel fumble for words as he seeks to share this vision he has had of the God who comes with his angels surrounding him and they're like wheels within wheels and like rainbows flooding over them. And what would it have sounded like to hear the prophet Isaiah come and proclaim the breadth and the depth of the sovereignty of God in who he is in all that he has done, in his judgment on the nations, in his calling out of his people and calling them back to repentance, and in his promise and vision of the future that he is even now preparing for them. What does a prophet sound like? We have their words and we know that their words are written with poetry and rhythm and rhyme. And we get glimpses of the reaction of people in the Old Testament scriptures as they are convicted and confronted, inspired and invited by these spokespersons of God. For myself, there are a couple of examples I think of when I wonder what a prophet sounds like. A couple of years ago, I was at Surrender Conference here in Adelaide, and a poet by the name of Joel McCarrow, who's a Christian poet from Melbourne, was speaking. And Joel is a big guy, like tall, stocky, long red hair in dreads, working for World Vision and Tear Fund, writing these contemporary poems that call out the injustices of our world. And as I sat there listening to him, I thought, this is what it would have felt like to hear the prophet speak. Slightly intimidated. <laughs> Confronted and convicted and yet inspired, imagining what a difference we could make, wanting to respond and to live into his words. Maybe an example that is more familiar to some of you is a man that has often been named as the greatest prophet of the 20th century, a Baptist preacher by the name of Martin Luther King Jr., who stood on the steps of the Washington Monument in 1963 with a speech he had prepared written in front of him and thought, this is not what I wanna say. And a young girl in the crowd who had been in his home the previous night and heard him talk about his vision, his dream for the future said, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And he spoke what continues to be one of the most inspiring speeches of recent times. If you haven't watched the video, go on YouTube it and find it. As he, with poetry and rhythm and imagination and emotion, evokes this dream that draws on the Old Testament prophets. He quotes from, Isaiah, from Amos sorry, and Hosea as he tells them of the dream he has that one day his four little children will no longer be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character and the rhythm and the rhyme and the repetition inspired the people on that day. But his words, like the words of the Old Testament prophets, echoed and resounded around the world and have brought change and transformation. Our world is different because of the words and imagination of a prophet. Our world is different because of the words and imagination of God's prophets. What does it look like for our world to be different as we receive, enter into and share the words and imagination of the prophets? And so as we come to the end of this series looking at the prophet Isaiah's words, I wonder what you have been hearing over these last few weeks and how you have been hearing it. And today, I've been drawing in, uh, in, in my spoken word on uh, these chapters of, of chapter 60 to 62, the, the end of Isaiah, his vision of the future, this great dream and imagination that he paints, that God has revealed to him of what the future looks like. And I don't know how best to understand it or communicate it other than to do what the prophet did and try with my words To paint a picture that evokes your imagination, that connects with your emotions, that invites your reaction and response. Our vision of the future, our picture of what God is yet to do, is not given to us merely for information. If that was the case, then we've had 2,700 years of Isaiah's words being completely meaningless. (laughs) because it hasn't happened yet and nobody understands it fully. If God's word is simply given so that we know the answers to the questions people ask, then we have missed the point of the living word of God. But Isaiah is given this vision of the future that he might share it with God's people that we too might have hope. And the content of our hope matters. The vision, the dream, the imagination you have for the future of where this story is going, will shape how you live in the present, will shape every relationship you have and will shape who you are as a church. And I'm pretty sure I had the opportunity to say this just a couple of years ago when I was here preaching on the Psalms. But I've listened and watched and talked to many people and the vision or picture or imagination that many of us have of the future is nothing like Isaiah's living color poem. It is an anemic, small picture that I like to call white fluffy Cloudland," that is based more on medieval painting and contemporary advertising than anything that the scriptures have to say. If our vision of the future is one day sitting on a cloud playing a harp wearing a white robe forever and ever and ever singing that same song, What have we lost from Isaiah's grand vision of a city where all people, all nations are invited to find restoration and reconciliation and redemption, and where all the goodness and beauty and truth and wonder of this world is offered to the God who sits on the throne. Isaiah uses the picture of a city, the city of Jerusalem, very familiar to his listeners, the place where they longed to go and would love to go and would gather together in the presence of God, the place that was the jewel in the crown of their nation. And Isaiah takes that picture and (laughs) bumps it up on steroids, makes it bigger and more expansive than anything they could have ever imagined in reality, a city where streams of living water flow, a city where people from all nations stream in, a city where the kings of the nations bring their glory and wealth and splendor to offer it to the God who sits on the throne. It is powerful imagery that promises renewal and restoration and redemption and reconciliation and recreation. And when we turn to the very end of our scriptures, to the book of Revelation, we see again a vision where John, I was going to say, draws on the words of Isaiah. I think maybe he's been meditating on the imagery of Isaiah is maybe a better way of putting it because John takes his own experience of what God has revealed to him and uses the words of Isaiah and brings them together in a picture that is higher again and even more expansive and wonderful of what God is even now preparing for his people, the renewal of all the things. Why does it matter what our hope looks like specifically, what the vision, the picture, the imagination we have is? I think it it leads us to expectation and anticipation and longing and God's people have always lived forward with those senses because of what God is drawing them to and calling them to. And if your picture of the future is less than your picture of the present, then you lose all that. And so if the imagination that we have given ourselves of heaven is less than the fullness and beauty and joy that we experience now, why would we want to long for that? But if Isaiah and John can paint us a picture and do paint us a picture that is always more than, never less than. Take the best and the brightest and the greatest and the goodest that you can think of in this world and it is more than that, they say then we will long for and hope for and live for and live towards this great hope. I found that idea really helpful when uh, speaking to children or or students and they ask all those questions about what will heaven be like. And I say, I don't know the answers because I haven't been there yet. But I can tell you that it will be more than, not less than. So when someone says to me, will we recognise each other in heaven? Of course we will, because how could it be less than what it is now? My own personal theory, this is not found in the Bible anywhere, is that we will recognise everyone because that would be more than. What a wonderful thing to be able to be in God's new kingdom and say, hey, Paul was reading your words the other day, nice to meet you. Or what about Bob, the guy that I never met who lived on the other side of the world to me, hey, great to see you. It must be more than and never less than what we have experienced now. But more than that, not just about longing and expectation, our hope for the future matters because it shapes how we live and what we do now. Chris Wright is an Old Testament scholar who has studied these words of Isaiah and and the words found in Revelation, which pick up on this idea. In Revelation, John says, the kings of the earth and the nations will bring their glory and splendor into the new creation, into the future that God is preparing. And I thought, what does that mean? And Chris puts it this way, he says, all the achievements, all the successes and the goodness and the creation and the creativity that God has gifted us with and we have been able to produce as a human race throughout all the centuries, that is the starting point of God's new creation." You see, sometimes we have a picture of the future as if it's all going to be a blank slate, that God's going to destroy and throw away this world and start again from scratch. And that is not the picture of the Bible. That is not the picture of the prophets. God has given us his good world. It is tarnished by sin and rebellion and brokenness. But there is so much good and beauty and truth. And God is looking for us to bring that into the new creation, that we might start from there and move forwards together And that is a picture that just inspires and encourages me both about the future, but it also says that what I do now matters, because what I do now can be eternal. The relationships that I can build, the art and beauty and wonder and creativity that I can share, the goodness in this world that we experience matters because it will last forever and shape how the future unfolds. And so we are invited to participate and live towards that future hope that Isaiah got a glimpse of and shared in his wonderful poetry with us, that John saw through King Jesus unveiled before him and shared in his beautiful poem, painting a picture for us that we now can live towards, anticipate and participate in, even as we worship King Jesus who is now preparing and bringing it about. So where are our poets? Where are our dreamers and our artists and our wonder makers? and our imagination shapers. How are we living and communicating the good news of Jesus in such a way that it inspires and invites and excites and anticipates what he is doing now and what he is preparing for us to enter into together once and for all? Let me pray.